How'd we go, Adrian? Can you hear me okay? Are we squealy? A little bit squealy? He'll fix it. He's a magician. Well, here we are. We're at our, our last stop on, on John's postal route uh, in the book of Revelation. Uh, we've been through, through six churches, I think, over the last, um, I think it's probably eight weeks. It took us a little bit longer to get there, didn't it? And, and today we're at the seventh church, and it's the church of, of Laodicea that we're going to be looking at today. And, and this letter from Jesus to the church in Laodicea, we're going to see it follows the same format as, as the other six letters that, that we've looked at. It begins with something about Jesus. It's Jesus revealing something about himself. And, and in every case, it's been something that, that is particular to that church. It's something that's going to resonate with that church, is what Jesus is revealing about himself. Uh, then there will be, if it's relevant, there'll be a commendation and or there will be a complaint. And what you're going to see today with Laodicea, there is no commendation. There's just complaint. Uh, and then there will be a correction and then it will close with some sort of a, of a promise to those who overcome. Um, like, like our other weeks, this is going to be a, a, a bit of a chewy message. There's a bit for us to get through this morning, so I do hope you're well caffeinated. Um, and this is kind of what we can expect when Jesus is going to write you a letter. It's going to be a pretty meaty letter. And so we really need to do, do need to take our time to understand what it is that, that he's saying to us. So... Here are our seven churches. They're all in what is modern-day Turkey. And down towards the left in the middle is Patmos. Patmos is the island uh, that John is receiving the revelation, and that's where he's, he's writing from. If the map extended further over, uh, over to the left, then we would, we would hit Athens. And if it headed further up to the north, then we would hit Istanbul and, and the Black Sea. So you've got, a, got an idea of where we are. So all of these churches are in actually a fairly small area. The first week, we, we looked at the church of Ephesus. That was the first letter. And that church, Jesus said, you've abandoned your first love. But to those who overcome, they're, they're going to eat from the tree of life. Then we went to... Where do we go to next, Jean? We went to... Smyrna. Now, there was no complaint in Smyrna, um, and they would be given the crown of life. And then up to Pergamum. Pergamum had accepted false teaching, but for those who overcome, there was this strange promise where they would be given some of the hidden manna and would receive a white stone. Uh, then to Thyatira, there were problems there with idolatry and immorality. And for those who overcome, they would be given authority over the nations and the morning star. Then to Sardis, who was spiritually dead, but they would be clothed in white and their name would be written in the book of life. Now, before we get to Philadelphia, and, and Nick spoke about Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago, before I cover that up with another little box, you can see a Laodicea there and there are two cities that are really close by. There's the city of Hierapolis 
and the, and the city of Colossae. And we're going to talk about those as well. But now I'm going to cover them up. In Philadelphia, there was no complaint. And they would be a pillar in the temple. And they would be given the name of God, the new, of New Jerusalem and of Jesus. And so today, we come to Laodicea. And Laodicea is well known as being the lukewarm church. What comes to mind as you remember Laodicea and the lukewarm church? Spewing. There's Jesus saying, you make me want to vomit. And this is the title slide for some church that's done uh, a message on this passage as well. And that message was entitled, Making God Gag. And this is another one that I found. No lukewarm Christians in heaven. What I want to try to paint for us today, or at least ask the question, that maybe this passage is not really about spiritual temperature. Maybe not really about passion or zeal or devotion. And maybe it actually has more to do with being loved than being rejected. And hopefully we can kind of paint that, that picture. Um, about, I think it was probably about 18 years ago, uh, I was working for Telstra. And specifically, I was working for a, a, a subsidiary of Telstra called Census. You might not remember Census, they're still around, but Census uh, published yellow pages and white pages. Who even has a yellow pages book or a white pages book in their house? About a quarter of us. In the early 2000s, um, those who might rem remember, Telstra shares were kind of like the hottest shares on the Australian Stock Exchange in the early 2000s. And one of the reasons why they, were, that, why they were so good was because their balance sheet was incredibly strong because of the profits coming from Yellow Pages. In the, in the late 90s and early 2000s, Yellow Pages was pushing more than three quarters of a billion dollars in clear profit to Telstra every year. And I was there during that time. And I was on the management track. And I was being promoted, uh, probably about every 11 months being promoted, being promoted. All I was doing was showing up. <laughs> and and kind of just doing the things that were asked of me and, and, and away we went. And, and I remember um, Shelley and I were, were praying in our lounge room. We were living at a place in Womberall. And we, we just spent a bunch of money on renovating this house. And, and we overlooked Wombrell Lagoon and out to the Skillion. And there we were sitting in our newly renovated upstairs lounge room. And we were praying. And it was one, it was one of those occasions. I've had a handful of occasions where, where it was a really profound experience with the Holy Spirit. And this was one of them. And I was sitting on the lounge and I was praying, and I thank you, Lauren, uh, for this job. Thank you that, um, that we've, been, we've been blessed with, op with opportunity and, um, and, and, and with finances and, and this lovely home. You know, thank you that, you, that you've been bless blessing us. So far, so good. Uh, and then I prayed. It was one of those lounge rooms where it, it had a, you know, the laundry that kind of 
locks away and is hidden in the lounge room. And I must have been looking at it. And I prayed this stupid prayer. I said, Lord, thank you that if our washing machine died today, I could buy a new one tomorrow. And this voice came from over my right shoulder and it said, no, Jeff, you need to repent for blessing yourself with my money. You need to repent for blessing yourself with my money, with my resource. Now, you might have all sorts of theological problems with that, and, and I do too, actually. But he spoke truth to me that day. That rebuke was spot on. I had been blessing myself with his resource. And he revealed some truth to me that day about how his kingdom economy works and how how we are participants in that kingdom economy uh, that, that shifted my thinking permanently. But perhaps not my behaviour in the way that I would have liked. I'm going to come back to that. Let's look at this passage. This is slow, isn't it? Let's look at the passage. So here we are, if you're following along, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. Uh, This is out of the NRSV. Uh, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write. Now, you remember uh, in the first week, uh, we understood that the angel is, is the messenger. It is one with spiritual authority. Uh, that's who the, the letter is addressed to. The one with spiritual authority in the church of Laodicea, right? The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works and you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either hot or cold. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered. I need nothing. You do not realise that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so you may be rich, white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I'm standing at the door, knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying. To the churches. Now we know that a text without a context is a pretext. So what that means is that without examining the context in which something, and in this in this case, scripture was said, or the context in which something is written, then we can easily, or even intentionally, misappropriate, misuse, misapply or misrepresent a text to support a position that it does not, in fact, present. So we need to understand, well, what was the context? What was the context into which this letter was written? What was the context in which it was received? 
by the Laodiceans. Now, we've come to understand, as, as theologians and anthropologists and historians have, have dug into this, we've come to understand a number of really important things about the city of Laodicea and about that context. We've come to understand. The first thing is that this city is wealthy. It's the wealthiest of all of the seven cities all of the seven churches that, re that received letters in, in Revelation. Uh, it was a centre of, uh, of currency exchange and investment. It was like the Zurich of, of the day. There's lots of money that is passing through Laodicea and lots of money staying in Laodicea. Uh, and so one of the things that, that this bred was this sense of independence. And one of the reasons we know that is that there was a massive earthquake in AD 15 and then there was another earthquake in AD 60. And as part of the Roman Empire, in both instances, Rome, uh, Rome was offering financial support to rebuild the city, like it was flattened both times. And in both instances, uh, the, the citizens of Laodicea said, no, we've got this covered. And probably thought that they were, they were being really, really good Roman citizens in doing this. But out of their own resource, their own sense of independence, they, they rebuilt the city of Laodicea and they did it twice. Uh, we, we also know when you look at the city and, and the ruins in Laodicea, Laodicea, the houses are huge. The houses are much, much larger than those that, that are in the surrounding areas. Uh, it's an elevated city and it quite literally looks down on, on many other townships and other cities. Really wealthy and independent city. Uh, it was also really well known for its garment trade. And, and so, so lots of um, importing, exporting in, in terms of textiles. And the main textile export of Laodicea was black wool and then clothing and material that was made out of this black wool. And it, and it had a reputation of being an uh, incredibly high, high quality. And so here's another source of, of income to this city was this, this black wool and the textile industry. So we're both doing that at the same time, aren't we, Jane? Uh, there was also a, a medical university in Laodicea, a really famous one. People were coming from far and wide to train in Laodicea. Uh, some of their coins, there have been two coins that were found that actually had the heads um, uh, of, of surgeons. So rather than the emperor's head, um, it had the, the heads of famous surgeons and, and medical practitioners minted on coins. They were really well known for, um, for ear treatment and vision treatment. And in particularly, there was this stuff called Phrygian powder. Uh, so it was whatever Phrygian is, and it was ground up, and it was mixed with water or mixed with oil, and it was used as an ointment or as a balm for all sorts of eye problems and vision problems. And again, this stuff, this Phrygian powder, it was exported all over the place. And, and Laodicea was really, really well known uh, for, this, for this eye ointment. The other thing, so if this is my signal now, is it? Uh, the other thing it was really well known for is Laodicea in first century um, 
Asian province of the Roman Empire had hot and cold running water. And it even had hot and cold running water um, plumbed into these great big expensive houses. First century, hot and cold running water in, in your house. And so there's all of these, so these are, these are pipes, you've got a hot water pipe and a cold water pipe next to each other. Um, and Laodicea was really, was really well known for this advanced water supply. Um, however, there were, there were problems with this. The hot water, it was coming, remember the city Hierapolis that, that was nearby. Now, Hierapolis, um, see that, that picture at the top there? That might be a familiar photo. These, there, there are these tiered hot water mineral baths in Hierapolis and there's still, there's a hotel and a health spa there and people come from across the world to, to swim and to bathe in, in these, these mineral spas and they're meant to have all of these healing properties and so there was this system of aqueducts that was going from Hierapolis into Laodicea. And so you see there this image of, of these aqueducts. Um, by rights, they should be black sheep. There in the photo. Um, but this hot water were, travelled about eight kilometres from Hierapolis to Laodicea. Now, similarly, the cold water... Oh, sorry, Jane. The, hot, the cold water was coming from Colossae and the cold water was coming from a really reliable snow melt and it was cool and it was fresh and it was being piped in about 16 kilometres and coming all the way and you can see even here in, this is in a house, you've got a cold water pipe and a hot water pipe coming into a house. Sounds awesome, uh, but there were problems. So the hot water from Hierapolis is full of calcium and full of sulphur, and by the, by the time it's travelled its eight, kilomet eight kilometres and it's turning up in your house, it's not hot anymore, it's lukewarm and stinky <laughs> by the time it turns up in your house. And, and the, this calcium is building up in, in the pipes. And similarly, the cold water, it's travelled 16 kilometres and by the time it's gone through all the way through the pipe and turning up in your house, it's not all that cold anymore either. <laughs> and, and the Laodiceans knew this. This is, this is the reality that, that they lived with. And here we see it's into this context that Jesus just brilliantly communicates to the Laodicean church. And he opens like this. He says to the angel in the church of Laodicea, right, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. This is how Jesus identifies himself, as the Amen. You know that when we say Amen at the end of, the, end of a prayer, we're, we're speaking Hebrew. Um, we're, we're speaking a word that actually says truth, true, verily, certainly trustworthy, sure. This is the final word. This is the amen. When Jesus identifies himself as the faithful and true witness, he's saying that he is, he is uniquely reliable and qualified. And the word for witness is actually the word martyr. He is uniquely qualified, the faithful, the true witness. And he is the origin of God's creation. He is the beginning and by virtue of being the origin, he is the ruler. He is the source. He is the first word. 
first word, the last word, reliable, qualified. This is who's speaking. And, you know, when, when Paul wrote his letter to the, to the Colossian church, he actually met, mentions in that letter a couple of times, he talks about the Laodiceans in that letter. And he even says, make sure the Laodiceans read this letter. So get it to them so that the Laodiceans uh, read this letter. And so they, they would have been really familiar with the letter to the Colossians. Um, and, and Paul writes this. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Is Paul kind of communicating clearly what role he thinks Jesus has in the cosmos? He goes on, For I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those in Laodicea. For all those who've not seen me face to face, I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery. And that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He goes on. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek first or seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your who is your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You have this governing message in Colossians that is the supremacy of Christ. That's within him, it's through him, by him and for him that, that everything exists. He is the amen. He is the origin. And so shift your thinking, Colossians, Laodiceans, lift it up. Off all of the stuff that it's around you and onto eternal things. And so the Laodiceans, they've heard all this before from Paul. And now Jesus has a complaint. He says, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're, you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich. I've prospered and I need nothing. You do not realise that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. Now, when I asked you right at the start what comes to mind, somebody said spew. That's the word. The word is not spit. This is not something that Jesus doesn't like the taste of in his mouth. This is vomit. This is coming from, from here. Jesus is sick with what's going on here. It just doesn't taste bad. And the way that we've we kind of traditionally heard this and read this message is that, is that if, if you're lukewarm then you've been heartily rejected by Jesus. You're, you're out. Lukewarmness is unforgivable. And you know, when I, I listened to, to a podcast uh, about this message in, in, in preparing for this morning. 
uh, an American preacher, a very well-known one, who told his congregation that there were people who were not sold out to Jesus in the congregation that morning who were going to hell. He told them that the believers who were only so-so, who were only half-hearted, that it would be better off for them if they rejected Christ outright, better if they were cold than to be lukewarm. If you, want to go, if you want to go to heaven, he said, you have to be hot for Jesus. That's terrible theology. And it's really, really dangerous teaching. We have to take into account the context that Jesus is speaking into here. We have to take into account the whole message that he's given to the Laodicean church. And of course, we have to take into account the whole gospel. I want to be really clear, and I suspect that there are folks here for whom this is important to hear. Your salvation is not so precarious that your attitude on any given day could have Jesus spitting you out of his mouth and into the clutches of hell. Your attitude, your passion on any given day is not more powerful than the cross. It's just not. Your salvation is not that fragile. And Jesus, Jesus is not that fickle. He says, I reprove and discipline those whom I love. This passage is about correction. Correction of those that he loves. Not about rejection and into the clutches of hell. Do not read this passage thinking that you have to drum up more passion for Jesus. Otherwise, he's going to reject you. His love for you is not that fickle. And your salvation is not that weak. However, something is obviously making Jesus sick. And because our lives are hidden in Jesus and we are part of the body of Christ, it's making us sick. And so we had better make sure that we get our diagnosis right. Because if when we read this verse and we read it thinking that Jesus wants us to be hot for him, he wants us to be on fire, then we have to conclude that, that to be cold is actually to reject Jesus. If, if, if to be hot is to be hot for Jesus and to be cold is to, is to reject God. But then for some reason, Jesus says that it's better to be completely cold. It's better to reject him because the worst spiritual condition is to be lukewarm. The worst spiritual condition is to be nominal and nothing makes Jesus sick like a nominal Christian. Well, that's actually us reading our 21st century cultural pretext about emotion into this first century context into which the letter was written. I don't think spiritual temperature is what Jesus is speaking about. It doesn't stack up when you take into account uh, the whole letter to the Laodicean church uh, into context. Instead, the problem is right in front of us. The Laodicean church thinks that they are rich, thinks that they are prosperous. They think that they need nothing. And they don't realise that they're wretched, they're pitiable, they're poor, 
they're blind and naked. So here's the real problem. You Laodiceans, you think you're independent. You think you're self-made. You think that you don't need anything. And the problem is that you are plumbed into the wrong source and just like your dodgy water, it's making me sick. You think you have it all with your funky water supply and your banks and your cool clothes and your ointment, but you're deceived. You're wretched. You're pitiable. You're poor. You're blind and you're naked and you don't even realise it. You Laodiceans, you think that your wealth is the source of all these good things, but in reality, you've moved a long way from the source and it's making the body sick. You know, at, at the origin, the hot water help, Jane. That hot water, it can clean. The hot water can heal. At the origin, the cold water is fresh. It's cool. It quenches your thirst. So it's good when it's hot and it's good when it's cold. But this stuff, this stuff is so far, so far from the source, it's actually useless. It's disgusting. It's not the real thing. Don't you see, Laodiceans, that the more independent you think you are, the further you are being disconnected from the source. And you've deceived yourself so much that you think that you are the source, that you need nothing. You think that your hope and your assurance is within yourselves and within your money and within your clothes and within your medicine. And in reality, you're wretched, you're naked, you're blind, you're pitiful. Like your tepid water, your self-sufficiency is no substitute for the real thing. It's a deception. It's a trap. It's a phony. It's making me sick. It's making you sick. It's making the body sick. The problem here is self-sufficiency and, it, and it's the disconnection from the source. If we misdiagnose Jesus' vomiting bug as a problem with spiritual hotness or coldness, then his prescription that follows also makes no sense. But if his reaction is the symptom of his beloved children placing their confidence and their worth and their needs in their own self-sufficiency, then his correction, it makes perfect sense. Jesus says, he's saying, I'm the true source. I'm the reliable source. I'm, I'm the origin of all creation, therefore I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white robes to clothe you and to keep you from the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and I discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. And so Jesus here is brilliantly weaving together this context and this relevance. These people knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Every day they were reminded of the fact that they were a long way from the source. And Jesus is saying, you're the same. So he says, come to the true source, the living water. Let me provide you with true wealth. 
Let me deal with your shame. Let me deal with your blindness for good. And I'm saying this because I love you. It's making you sick. Open your eyes. Come back to the real source. And you know, there's, nothing's changed, right? Uh, there, there's, nothing, there's nothing in this world today that so disconnects us from the Creator than, than self-sufficiency. The illusion that I have all that I need and the lie that says the true success is relying in no one. But even here when Paul's uh, writing to his protege, to his disciple Timothy, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, Put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasure in heaven for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Uh, And you'll remember a couple of weeks ago when we spoke about the church in Smyrna, it was, like, it, was, it was the complete opposite. And there, Jesus is saying, like, I know your afflictions, I know your poverty, and yet you are rich. And to the Laodiceans, he's saying, you think you're rich, you're actually wretched and pitiable. And you remember this in, in Matthew 19, the, um, the, this, this rich young ruler, he comes up to Jesus and he says, like, good teacher, good master, Like, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And they have this conversation about the law and obeying the commandments. And and this young guy, like, he gets it, right? He he actually says, "Um, like, I've I've kept all of these things. What do I still lack? He knows that just obeying the law is not not getting there. What, What do I still lack? And Jesus says, if you wish to be perfect, not saved, if you wish to be perfect, go and sell your possessions, give your money to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving for he had many possessions. Jesus takes the teaching moment and he turns to his disciples and he says, truly I tell you, it'll be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. This is a, this is a big theme. For Jesus, when we think about like the pinnacle of his teaching on, on the Sermon on the Mount, like he, Jesus devotes a lot of his verbal real estate in, in that sermon to this message. And he says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and, and rust consume or where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Lift your eyes. In heaven where neither moth nor, tr- nor rust consumes, uh, where thieves do not break in steel. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For the eye is the lamp of the body. If, you, if your eye is healthy, if it's looking at the right thing, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, then your whole body will be full of darkness. And if your light in you is darkness, then how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. A slave will either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, I tell you, 
Don't, you don't have to worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Can any of you by worrying at a single hour to the span of your life, why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory wasn't clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? It's the Gentiles who strive for all of these things. Indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. You know, when, when we function in this way with our, with our hope in our own resource, we're not functioning in a way that is properly, properly connected, properly integrated with the, with the body. We're doing something different than participating with the, with the body. We're actually foreign to the body, we're separate. And so Jesus says, be earnest, therefore, and repent. He says, get real, be diligent, pay attention and repent. Turn around. Come back to me because I'm the first and the last word. I'm the true origin of your wealth and your clothes and your water and your sight. I'm king and kingdom and I know what you need. And I'll supply your needs according to my riches in glory. Come back to me. I'm closer than you think. Listen. I'm standing at the door knocking. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you. I'll eat with you and you with me. To the one who conquers, I'll give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what his spirit is saying to the churches. So, so where is this source? Where do I go to plug into this to this living and eternal water? To where do I go to plumb myself into true riches, to true dignity, to true healing? Jesus is not saying, you better drum up some more passion. He's saying, listen, <laughs> I'm knocking. Open the door and I'll come into you. He's not just saying, I'll come in near you, I'll come into the same room. He's saying, I'll come in to you because your life is hidden within him. And then he says, from within you, I will nourish you and we will eat together and there will be no lack. And to the one who conquers, I'll give a place with me on my throne. And you remember right back when we, when we spoke about the church in Ephesus, who is the one who, who conquers? Who is the one who overcomes? Are you an overcomer? I wish you were. Am I an overcomer? No. There is only one overcomer, but our lives are hidden in him. We share as members of his body, we share his throne. Let me underscore this a little bit. 
You'll have to keep up with me, Jean, if this doesn't work. How many thrones do we see? We've got the Father's got a throne. The Son's got a throne. We've got a throne. Maybe lots of thrones. It's not what the passage says. Jesus, the overcomer, sat where? With the Father on his throne. And to the one who conquers, the one in Christ, I'll give a place with me on my throne. One throne. It's a beautiful image and, and, and it's a Trinitarian image and theologians call this co-inherence, mutual indwelling. Jesus just says, it's abiding in me. Right back in Genesis, we, we were created to reign over creation with God. And here we see in the book of Revelation, we see the restoration and the renewal of this promise, reigning with God on his throne. And so our question remains, where is your source? Where is my source? Are we plugged in to the origin of all creation? Are we plugged in to Christ within us, the wellspring of living water? Or is my hope in my bank account, in my job, in my health, my clothes, my intelligence, or is it in my circumstance? Or are all of those things so broken and so busted that there's nowhere for me to put my hope? There's no greater threat to life in Christ than the lie of independence, the lie of self-sufficiency. And, you know, we are products of this capitalist, consumerist, individualist dream. We think that we're independent and disconnected and it's making us sick and anxious and stressed. And this self-sufficiency, it has its roots in the delusion that I'm safer in my own hands than in the hands of God, that I can't really trust him to supply all of my needs and certainly not all of my wants. And this clever and seductive illusion, it separates us from the source, it separates us from each other. And this disconnection is making us tepid and stagnant. And But behold... He stands at the door and he's knocking. He says, the water I will give you will become within you a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. That's the good stuff. That's the true source. And, you know, I'd like to say that when, when Jesus rebuked me, when he gave me my ultimatum, repent for blessing yourself, I'd love to say that I learned that lesson. But I didn't. Um, not really. I've been seduced by that lie of self-sufficiency and independence more times than I'd care to confess. And I'm sure that I'm going to confess that again. But I know that his love is bigger than my thick-headedness. I know that my salvation is more secure than my spiritual temperature on any day. And I know that because my confidence is in him. The origin, the amen, the overcomer, it's not in me. Let me pray. 
Oh God, I just wish we could get that truth into our hearts. That you are the source. The amen. The overcomer. And that somehow, by, by some mystery, that our life is in you, all of us together, one body, one flesh, hidden in you, the source of life. Give us a glimpse, I pray, Lord, of what, of what that is. Give us a, a glimpse of that truth and that treasure that we might walk in it, even just in some way. God, we recognise that, that these messages that the world tells us about being self-made and independence, we know that they're lies, but gee, they're good ones. I just ask, Lord, that you, you would forgive us. We don't want to be sick. We want to be plumbed into the right source. We want, the, we want the, the source that is refreshing, that's cool, that's healing, that's cleansing. We want to be plumbed into that. And God, by faith, we, we believe that that's true and we believe that we are, not because of anything that we've done, but totally because of you. And we give you thanks, our Lord Jesus. Amen.